Welcome to the first episode of the second season of Mistakes Were Made, a podcast about non-monogamy for messy people like us. I'm Sarah, a queer therapist, writer, and journalist. And I'm her husband, Alex, a communication professional, musician, and father. And I'm Jessica, producing this podcast and occasionally showing up with skeptical questions about this whole non-monogamy thing. <laughs> thank you for being here, Jessica and Sarah. Mm, thanks for that little flex about how you just snuck having uh, being a parent into your Yeah, I noticed you didn't mention bio. that. I wonder yeah. what our kids are going to think when they listen to this, yeah. you know, in You could have talked to me about that first. <laughs> <laughs> you know, a father is just, fatherhood is just part of my identity. Like top three. Not... Yeah. Not really important to you, I guess. Yeah, honestly, I had other things in here (laughs) that I didn't mention, and none of them were parent. (laughs) Anyway, so we took a little vacation over the summer and into the fall to rest, gather listener feedback, which was mostly more embarrassment, more Jessica, more guests who make fun of us and are generally skeptical of all of our intellectual cover. (laughs) And also to make some more mistakes. Which we did. Because mm-hmm. we always do. Uh, yeah, in this episode, we are talking about breakups uh, because they're all around us, uh, <laughs> <laughs> including uh, recently in both Sarah and I's lives. Uh, we didn't break up with each other, um, but uh, we did with some other people. And we'll be talking about that on today's episode. Um, and also, I want to put in a plug that uh, Sarah is going to tell a joke at the end oh, of the God. episode. So keep listening for Sarah's. It's not a joke that she's just going to tell, but a joke that she wrote as well. <laughs> that an, I wrote an, for, the podcast. Joke, for the podcast. Yeah. That's Halloween theme. Yes. What will be an ongoing segment that she promises to do every episode. <laughs> just producer's note, this episode will be airing after Halloween. So Damn it. Uh, <laughs> it's going to be even better. <laughs> Can you make it Thanksgiving themed or? I'll, I'll work on what, hey, maybe the thing will be that I make it holiday themed and then it's always a little after the holiday. Yeah. Like that could be the brand of this segment. Yeah. I think that's charming. It's perfect. <laughs> Really, like, the theme of this episode is what do monogamous and non-monogamous breakups have in common? How are they different? What do they mean? And what can we learn about them if we want to learn something about them? Yeah. Maybe a good place to start is to... uh drag monogamous relationships oh, like in their break. Yeah, I think that's great. Yeah, let's uh, do that. Because also, terrible. <laughs> I mean, worse, really. If you think about like how as bad as you might feel when you break, have a breakup in a in a non-monogamous relationship, it was like you know, the whole time all the hard stuff we might have gone through around that or did go through, uh, we did like have each other's support to some extent, which is, you know, that's complicated too, but yeah. it's definitely different than I think my uh kind of like orientation towards relationships in general uh, is like, I have probably some like loneliness and abandonment issues and like how, how intensely bad I would feel if I had gone from like, I have one person Mm. that I'm dating and then that ends and I'm alone. Like that would be like a dramatic life change for me that I would like really avoid. And it is definitely for me a lot less hard um, to be experiencing it like you know with the many other things in my life remaining stable right yeah that's really interesting and I've had the experience of breaking up with someone the relationship I mentioned that was like eight or nine months long that ended a year ago in that case I was still dating someone else and in a primary partnership marriage with you yeah Um, and it's interesting now to have the experience of that other relationship ending and having you as a support and also not actively dating anyone else. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's, there is something about that, that you're not just like suddenly cut off from any kind of romantic loving partnerships or relationships because you're going through a breakup. That's something that's Mm -hmm. very different about non-monogamous breakups. And I honestly don't think I'd experienced that first thing very many times. Like in, I did in like, you know, middle school <laughs> when my eighth grade girlfriend broke up with me. Uh, I think that sometimes you 
exaggerate a little having not had any relationships before you and I got together. And I'm always curious about why you do that. Hmm. Because, yeah. I mean, I'm not going to name them, but there were definitely like a good solid handful yeah. of folks who were pretty important to you. Yes, that's true. There were some. <laughs> and we will not be talking about them today. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think just because they were so long ago. Um, but that's that's what I was talking about in evoking like those really hard feelings of like being alone. And like, I guess I went back to a really long ago one. But like, yeah, there were definitely a few others. And then there were like sometimes that you and I broke up, too. That's true. Yeah. And it felt very bad all those times. I remember. <laughs> yeah, really. I don't think you cared at all. All right. Well, we'll save this for another podcast. Okay. Jessica, <laughs> jump in here. Yeah. Well, I do. I, I feel like I learned a lot about breakups in my dating career. And like, that's maybe the thing that I felt like I really developed some skills at. I don't, you know, it's like all relationships. I don't know. Like, I, who knows about being in a relationship? I'm still working on that. Like, figuring out how to be good at that. But I did learn a thing or two about breaking up. Um, because, like, I think I had a tendency early on in my dating life to, like, do this sort of not full breakup, like leaving open the possibility of like staying friends or like, you know, maybe it's just like the time isn't right and that kind of thing. And that really like created some problems um, because I was saying that when I didn't really mean it, I think, but I like, I had some like pretty uncomfortable situations of people like continuing to contact me after I was like really done. But I thought I was just being nice mm -hmm. by saying like, you know, by breaking up with them gently, I guess. Um, but so in my later dating years, I learned to just when, you know, when it was over to just be like, Nope, <laughs> I'm done. I don't want to be friends. I don't want to like keep texting with you, like anything like that, which is like not, I think in my deepest heart of hearts, it's not really true. Like, especially if it's someone I was like in love with, like, I, I yes, I would like to be in relationship with them for my whole life. Um, but it just didn't, I, I don't think I've ever really, really made that a successful transition from, you know, romantic relationship to friends. And it either took a long time or I could do it more quickly by just being very decisive and cutting it off. I mean, I would like to think that we're friends, Jess. <laughs> With the glaring exception of my very first boyfriend, Alex. <laughs> I think did it right that time and then you know, yeah. never again. <laughs> you only got one in your whole life and you spent it early. Yeah. No, I mean, yeah, I have at least one other like friend mm -hmm. ex. Um, and then a lot of people that I dated and never spoke to again. Well, I appreciate this. And it kind of dips us into a little bit of this material of where non-monogamy, non-monogamous breakups and monogamous breakups overlap. Um, but before I get into that, I just want to say you do offer excellent advice in breakups. Uh, and we're going to get into some of it later. I actually like gathered a little section of like really great quotes from Jessica about breakups. Um, but it seems like something you've made a close study of and you've given me, I don't know, really great guidance over, over the past couple of years related to it. Um, one of them, this idea of just being really clear with people, um, and that you want to be kind, but the idea of sparing someone else's feelings is often about sparing yourself discomfort mm -hmm. um, and having to say something like definitive. Yeah. But then it does seem like that's sort of at odds with, uh, the idea that in non-monogamy, it's less important to, it, or it feels like it's it's like a little bit less valid to just be like, that's it, we're done. Because like in monogamy, you're going to have to start another relationship that, you know, is exclusive of the previous ones, right? Yeah. So you have to kind of have a hard break and then like whatever, hopefully take some time or just get right into another relationship. Um, but, you know, those two are at odds with each other. So I think that kind of like dictates a, a hard end in a way that in non-monogamy you don't necessarily like have to have it from a kind of like tactical perspective or whatever. Yeah. So this gets into some of the terms that we were talking about, uh, like 
in non-monogamy, you hear people talk about transitionally, transitioning a relationship or de-escalating a relationship. Often people will say something like, the relationship is changing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it it's complicated for me because I can see how that's in alignment with non-monogamy's uh, dynamism mm-hmm. and embracing of change, right? And, and shifting dynamics. It also often has felt like platitudes to avoid saying we're breaking up, mm, which mm-hmm. I have found frustrating. Right. Why do you think people want to avoid that? I think because of the finality. I think for uh-huh. some people, unlike what Jessica was just describing, um, for some people, closing the door on a relationship you know, the romantic nature of it, the sexual nature of it, or it existing at all, is just like a step they don't want to take, mm-hmm. or it's really difficult, and I'm not really judging them not wanting to take that step. But So I think it's helpful for some people in that, in that department. I think for me, what I find frustrating is like, okay, I, <laughs> I get it. Relationships can be surprising, life is long, you know, uh, you might not see each other or talk for years and then find yourselves at the same show and then like feel more friendly towards each other or even maybe start something up again. I get that feeling like a good option. Um, mm-hmm. And I also crave just kind of the honesty of being like, this romantic sexual dating relationship is ending. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's, there's like, a final thing that is happening here and now we are going to deal with what that feels like and that is going to be hard right. and it's going to take some time and I can see why we don't want to do it and also it's more painful for me to avoid doing it. Yeah, and I think that last part is is really kind of what it's all about is that you can't uh, like if you if you have a really, you know, or any kind of like intense entangled emotional relationship um you there you do have to kind of like step out of that you can't move you can't skip the step of creating the emotional distance before you could get back into or like creating something new right like i don't really think that it's and it's like very tempting for me and in the breakup that i went through i was like very like it was kind of front of mind for me that like i don't I want to be able to do this in a different way because I'm not like angry or bitter. I still like care about this person and respect them. I don't want to have a, a monogamy style like hard breakup. Right. But it did take me a while to kind of figure out that like you can't just go right into like co-creating something new without, I guess, like without unraveling some of the connection that you'd already made, I guess. Does that make sense? Yeah. I think this gets into one of my favorite quotes from Jessica about breakups. Um, and before, before I quote it, I want to just like talk a moment about the idea of de-escalating relationships mm-hmm. because I think that's one of the things that can make breakups in non-monogamy difficult there is this idea that you can go from something that's intense and more frequent and more involved to something that maybe is less intense, less frequent, mm-hmm. less involved. And I'm not saying that's not possible, right? Mm-hmm. But I think to your point, it takes a lot of intentionality and it probably takes a lot of space and yeah. like checking in with yourself about what you actually want and what that feels like and if that's going to match up with the other person. I do think it's pretty, it's like easy, comparatively easy to go from like somebody that you, you know, you see them, you know, once a month for three months and then you don't see them for two months or whatever. Like, like below a certain level of intensity or like a certain amount of time that you've been together, it is kind of possible to like just slow things down. But there's a difference when you're, like, in it in some way, right? I think the difference is probably attachment. Right. Um, And there's this question we've been asking as we've been thinking about this episode is, like, what makes a relationship, like, breakup worthy? Right. right? When do you need to break up instead of just kind of letting things fizzle? Or when does it feel okay to de-escalate or change how often you're seeing each other? And when does that feel like a really kind of deep, potentially painful negotiation? Mm -hmm. And 
I think from a therapeutic perspective, it's attachment. You should probably explain attachment, even though I know we're all steeped in it and <laughs> yeah. have all read that fully secure book. Um, I'm joking. So we probably haven't read that. The concept of attachment is basically that like in the early years of our lives, we have attachment figures. They're the people that we rely on for emotional and physical support and care. Right. Mm -hmm. And the experience that we have with those folks makes a really significant imprint on our brains, our nervous systems, and the way that we'll relate to people we're in intimate relationship going forward in our lives. So kind of um, colloquially, or it's kind of in the culture of this idea that some people have like anxious or preoccupied uh, or ambivalent attachment. Mm -hmm. It's one of those ones that has three names because it's the bad one. And so everybody just keeps renaming it. Uh (laughs) Um, And the idea that at some point, folks have like avoidant attachment right you know, these basic, also bad you know this is a rabbit hole <laughs> but i'm gonna go down you it. just don't like anxious attachment right well because it's me it yeah. me yeah that's why mm-hmm. i don't like it uh <laughs> but i'm going down this rabbit hole because i think it's interesting uh also culturally and this is not actually proven to be true but anxious attachment this idea that you're always afraid of being left in some way or not having your needs met is seen as more feminine Mm. and avoidant attachment. This idea that you're hard to get close to or you keep people at arm's length is seen Uh, as masculine. uh I want to really emphasize that like the data has not borne out for this to be true, Mm -hmm. but I think that anxious attachment is like pejorated or seen as negative or unappealing because it's associated with a feminine quality. Right. Yeah. That's interesting. I mean, I can definitely see what the archetypes are of like, you know, the, the strong, silent, aloof, yeah. emotionally aloof. But there are, or like inverted ones of like, you know, the like, I mean, women, I guess we figure out how, how to call them mean things, no matter how they are. And there's like sure do. The, the ice queen or whatever, right. like that's a stereotype. And then there's like- The man eater. The man, the man eater. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Cue the music. It's a great song. Really stupid values. Um but, and then, like, I guess for men, there's, like, uh, you know, the, the archetype I was just talking about, but then there's also um, the, the like, emo, you know, uh, kind of obsessive. Mm, sad boy. Sad boy, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's there in both ways, but. For sure. Totally... But one is seen, I think, like, in an almost culturally unconscious way, seen as mm-hmm. being less desirable yeah. and more feminine. Yeah, and I would say, like, we've talked about this before, that, like, the idea of, like, I've been, once I learned about attachment, I realized, like, oh, I've been trying to, like, wishing that I was more avoidant mm-hmm. because it seems more masculine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I, I also think it's worth saying that there's a strong argument to be made that our attachment is also dependent on the people we're in those attached relationships with. So it's not always like we're one way and right. we're going to play out this psychodrama exactly the same way with everyone, but that different people can sort of light up different attachment experiences and styles that we have had and have. Mm -hmm. Um, So the idea is that as we become adults, the most intimate relationships that we have are with the people who are our romantic partners, essentially. But attachment plays out with friends and chosen family too. So I want to be really clear about that. Um, And some of those relationships rise to this like attached level where we depend on each other for important emotional care. Um, We've made ourselves vulnerable in certain ways. Our nervous systems are sort of intertwined uh, in this way that relates to attachment. And once a relationship has gotten to that point, I think it does feel different. Mm-hmm. to try and break it up. It becomes an attached relationship. It's an attached yeah. relationship. Okay. It does feel different to mm-hmm. try and de-escalate. Um, and it has different consequences. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Thanks for explaining that. Yes. Sure, no problem. That's all you need to know about <laughs> attachment. Covered. <laughs> um, but to Jessica's excellent quote that I keep promising to get back to, Jessica has said to me a couple of times over the last few years, remember... You can't go through a breakup together. It always feels like you can in the beginning, but the breakup doesn't really start until you understand that you can't. And I I think about that so much. And I'm really mm-hmm. curious. I'd love to 
uh, have you jump in, Jess, and tell me where that comes from for you and, and what you think about it. Yeah, I mean, I think as I was like, as you were talking about attachment just now, it was making me think like, oh, that is totally an attachment thing. Like, because you, in a relationship, come to really rely on this other person for your emotional needs, right? And so they're like the first person that you go to when you have exciting new gossip to share or like you're feeling bad or whatever. That's your that's your go-to person. And so then you're going through a breakup and it's hard and you're like, I want to tell that, you know, I want to share this with them. It's the right. first thing that comes to mind. And right. then it's like, oh, uh, wait, okay, we can't do that. Um, so I'm really curious like to hear from you guys how that's, different i mean like so you have a partner right like you have a primary partner so you're going through a, monogam- a non-monogamous breakup can you go to your primary partner to like go through the breakup with them that's my one question Heavy um, and then, <laughs> <laughs> yeah and i have another yeah. like thought or question but like yeah tell me about that first <laughs> i mean you know whatever you might be feeling as the as the other partner of a person who's going through, through the break through a breakup about that other relationship that you're the the metamor to or you're kind of like the mm-hmm. um, you're on the on the other side of uh, is um, I don't know like that stuff is you're gonna have all your your feelings about it and you're kind of trying to be there to support the other person yeah um, and so you kind of have to hold back your feelings which might be anything from like you know, relief to, you know, that like the jealousy you'd been feeling, you know, you weren't going to have to feel anymore or God forbid, like you can finally say the things that you actually felt about disliking the person to like disappointment. Um, and like maybe wanting the other, you know, wishing that your, your partner could stay in their other relationship because of your relationship to that, that other person or how it felt for you to, you know, that situation could have felt good to you. And that is certainly, possible and I think like was was present in in both of our yeah. cases like I was sort of like in a creative project with the person that you broke up with and yeah. it be- became a lot harder to like yeah. do that um so like I had stakes too but of course I wanted to like support you yeah and not be like you know what don't don't fuck this up for me <laughs> right and you, you know you do develop relationships with metamorphs sometimes the people that your partners are dating yeah, uh, and you know that that will be impacted. And I think this is where the non-monogamy and polyamory can be really aspirational. And you're like, my relationship with my metamor doesn't have to change. And it's like, yeah, it's gonna, Mm -hmm. um, because that's the dynamism of like a relationship system. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah. And with, with like positive feelings, AKA attachment come, it's the feelings are strong. So when you break up with somebody, you're going to have strong feelings about that person. And so it's not going to be possible for like your, you know, your metamor, the the other person in that sort of triangle to be able to just be like, oh, everything's exactly the same. And we have a totally chill, casual relationship because suddenly, you know, there's just going to be activating big feelings there. Yeah. And I want to say there's the other feeling that I often hear non-monogamous people ask about, like isn't it awful to see your partner really distressed about a breakup with someone else? Because that would cause jealousy or just because you're empathetic to their distress? Both. Yeah. Okay. Both. Because partly you want to be like, Hey, but like I'm here and it's date night and we're like (laughs) on a romantic date and you're literally crying about someone else. French onion soup. (laughs) Like I am both sad that you feel bad. And I am also feel a little bad that you feel sad. Yeah, right. Personally, <laughs> yes. Uh huh. I don't know why French onion soup is. It's We're going in, to a fancy restaurant in the nineties. If you're crying <laughs> yes. into soup, it is yeah. definitely French onion soup, and yeah. I don't know why uh-huh. either because it's French. I, okay. Yeah, emotional. Uh-huh. They're sad. Man, I really want some French onion soup. Well, this leads me into another question that I kind of have for you guys, which is, I think, for me, like having gone through really bad breakups in the monogamy world, a realization I finally had was like okay, the problem is that I have a breakup and then like, as I'm like in the bad part of recovering from it, I like, I'm like, well, I'm probably just fundamentally unlovable and I'll never, you know, no one will ever 
find me attractive again. And so I'm just going to be alone forever. And that sucks. Um, so, but then it's like, you sure. <laughs> Sounds <laughs> rational. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was just like, the whole time, I was just like, yeah, yeah. that feeling, 100%. Presumably not right? about Jessica, I mean, not about, about yourself. No. Yeah, yeah, right. And then you hear someone you love say something like that, and you're like, that is preposterous. Mm-hmm. What are you right. talking about? Yeah. But that is neither here nor there. My question is, like, so you go through a breakup, but you're in a marriage, or you're in another Relationship. relationship so do you like does that mean a breakup is not that bad in that sense right it's not going to make you have this like existential question about your innate lovability uh, i would say it makes it a lot easier i would say it's complicated <laughs> <laughs> why does it make it easier alex because of all the things i mean i guess i kind of said this earlier because of all the things that jessica's alluding to like you have the that other person, you know, that sort of built built a network of support. You're not alone. Uh, perhaps you're you have evidence right in front of you that you aren't inherently of lo- unlovable <laughs> because there is another person who loves you. Um, you know, and maybe that also is good because it allows you to m- like more securely explore what happened. And the mistakes that you might have made that like led you or the reasons what maybe they aren't mistakes, but the reasons that that relationship ended and like what was happening on your side, like rather than being uh, just in the depths of despair and like feeling alone and unlovable, you can be a little bit more like, okay, I'm here. I'm still like a whole person and like I can more or like, you know, securely, safely interrogate like what this feels like for me and, and what led me to this place. Wow, how enlightened of you, Alex. Mm, thank yeah. you very much. I wish we could capture the smug look on your face mm. via audio. No, I think that sound does it. Um, yeah. Okay. I, I do, Nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> I do agree that um, because monogamy assumes that there is one right person for you, uh, if the person you've been dating that was supposed to be that one right person failed to be that one right person, it has a different sort of emotional implication to like lose them and then consider trying to find that one right person again. Right. It just like feels different. It hits different. Right. And also if you have to kind of like hate them or like feel strongly, you know, in the opposite direction to like sever those ties in the ways that we were talking about, then that like does cast a pall on your future relationships because you're like, well, there was somebody out there or maybe many people out there that I broke up with and those people are dead to me and they were very bad. So like all these future people are potentially very bad as well. And you kind of like know that in a more, in a, in a, in a kind of deeper way. Interesting. I mean, part, partly I want to say that not everybody, and I'm not saying that Jessica, uh, adheres to this idea that because someone you were monogamously dating didn't turn out to be the one, they are dead to you. I mean, she has literally people. had all of her exes killed, but yeah, <laughs> other than other than that. Just kidding. Just kidding. Uh, they allegedly, died of natural causes. Allegedly. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I do know plenty of people who do stay on reasonably good terms with exes, and uh, I want to talk about that in a second because I find that hard, and I think it would be interesting to talk about why it continues to be hard even when you're non-monogamous. But to get back to this initial question of is it easier or somehow like less painful to endure those feelings of like unlovability or unlikability that or just unattractiveness that come with a breakup um, when you have other partners. I think you're right. I think it is in some ways because you're still like receiving that kind of love and romantic love. And I also think it opens you up to a kind of vulnerability that is uncomfortable, Hmm. right? I was thinking about this cultural concept of winning breakups Right. You hear about this all the time, like mm-hmm. how to win a breakup. Right. Um, you know, don't be the first to reach out or, you know, to beat someone to the punch of breaking up right. or all of these ways that you're not seen as pathetic mm-hmm. or the pathetic one uh, in a breakup. And I think that for me, sometimes like having other partners witness me experiencing those kind of like pathetic feelings, if you will, uh, is embarrassing. You know, like Mm -hmm. I, there's still a part of me that wants my partners to believe that like I am 
you know, unquestionably lovable and sexy. And of course, everybody wants to be with me under all circumstances. I mean, this is not like a very flattering thing to reveal about myself, but... Highly relatable, though. Something worth saying that there have been moments when it was hard for me in front of you and hard for me in front of my other partner to be kind of a mess um, Mm -hmm. and to feel rejected. Yeah, I mean, and I think this speaks to something that you and I both have in common, that we're like kind of uh, try to avoid like vulnerability and protect ourselves and um, yeah, are, are afraid to like be super raw. I mean, I, I, it definitely is very relatable to me to like, just be like, well, you know, like all the shit I've been saying, like, well, this is hard, but you know, it's going to be fine because blah, it's blah, not blah. That bad. It's not that bad. Yeah. <laughs> no problem. We both definitely do that. Yeah. I mean, everybody does it. You want yeah. to protect yourself, and right. you want to protect the image that you imagine other people have of you. I don't mm-hmm. think there's anything like inherently bad about it. Um, but no. I also, and this is like a concept I'm interested to get it, get into in the second half of the podcast as well. Some things just feel bad, mm-hmm. and there's not a damn thing you can do to keep them from feeling bad. There's right. not like you're not doing it wrong, and that's why it feels bad. There's not like a needle you could thread to keep it from feeling yeah. bad. The only way you bad. could ever keep it from feeling bad would be to not have vulnerable feelings in the first place. That you know, which is the lesson I yeah. hope everyone takes away from this podcast is. <laughs> are you being sarcastic? <laughs> no, I am being sarcastic. <laughs> but there are moments in this dating and this breaking up where I literally have to talk myself down from that stance, where I'm like, "This is why." You should not ever have vulnerable feelings to begin with. Well, and like for a lot of people, I think like one, a a good compelling reason for uh, monogamy, you know, if you're already in a a relatively stable relationship could be to not have to go through all this stuff. And like, you don't really see it until you're in a breakup situation um, that like, I mean, you know, at the outset, when we decided to open our marriage, I was not thinking one iota about how I would start relationships that would then have to end in some way. Um, I did just, the thought <laughs> didn't even cross my mind. Um, I love that about you. And I think sometimes <laughs> some people are more in touch with like the way that those transitions feel and they might say up front and, and, and this would be like a valid perspective. I think like I'm happy in this relationship that I've in, I'm in, I found like something stable that I like and attached and I don't want to go messing around with that or doing that, all that stuff again. Like I'm done. Well, okay. So coming back from the break, I had a question for you guys when you were talking about de-escalating a relationship and I was trying to picture like, okay, out here in monogamy, world when I was dating like what would that feel like if someone wanted to de-escalate a relationship with me and I think that's like the cultural cliche is he's just not that into you right like that's that's what it means (laughs) to me Mm -hmm. it's like really hard for me to get my head out of the like relationship escalator thing I guess um but I mean so do you think that's what it means in a non-monogamy concept? Or, like, does it just mean that two people want different things? Like, what is up with that? I mean, I think maybe yes, but he's just not in, that into you isn't as bad. Like, that trope is is bringing a lot to the table, right? Like, that's him just not being that into you is... I. I don't know what happens in that movie. We'll have to watch it. But uh, (laughs) it's just the worst thing that could possibly happen, right? Is because you want the person that you're in a relationship to be (laughs) balls to the wall. Uh, Pardon the pun, I guess. I don't know. Uh, Excited (laughs) about you. Okay, we're going to try and move through that because I do have a good point here. You, You want them to be all in 100%. Right? You definitely don't want to be the person who likes someone more. I mean, that right. gets back to some yeah. of these tropes mm. about attachment but, and being pathetic. Right? Yeah, but then in monogamy, you don't want the person to be all in 100... Or in non-monogamy, you don't want that necessarily, right? Like, uh, part of the point of being non-monogamous is that one person is not going to be everything for you. And so you don't... Like, it's, it's maybe, you know, them... Like, I don't know what, like, non-monogamy relationship vows would be. But they would not be 
you are my everything to the ends of the earth. I never need anybody else except for you. Like, you know, sometimes you're into me. Sometimes you're just not that into me. I I would be something like, (laughs) I'm excited for all the ways everything will change. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And then everyone will just like look. The relationship (laughs) we will co-create together until we choose not to do that anymore. Mutually. Why? That's great. Why is that bad? Uh, okay. <laughs> it is great. But this is where I, I find, like, non-monogamy frustrating. It gets back to, like, these platitudes versus the way things feel. I love the flexibility and dynamism of it. I love that there's, like, new ways of talking and thinking about things. And especially about things related to relationships and sex and gender and commitments and all of that. I don't love that... It's supposed to just suck the intensity of feeling out of everything. Sure. And that, like, the goal here is that none of us ever feel bad, and we're all highly enlightened people that are just, like, sort of blissfully passing through everything with no attachment. But the idea that, like, there's got to be an in-between space between idealized monogamous romantic love that has, like, been built up to this level of, like, absolute frenetic intensity that is not possibly maintainable for a lifetime anyway. You know, there's got to be something in between that and, yeah, whatever. I'm not free. I'm not busy on Wednesday night, so let's hang out. Mm. Right? There's a massive space in between those two things. For sure. And I, and I think, like, what I'm always looking for is that space, right? Right. And I think that it can be tempting in the same way that mo- monogamy makes a really, like, strong case for itself being the best most loving, most wonderful way of being. I think non-monogamy does too. Hmm. In this way of like, this is the kind of like best, most enlightened, most real love way of loving people. Um, because it's the freest or something like that? Because it's yeah, the freest of because, external rules? I guess so. And yeah. I think also because it's like defensive. Um, because it has to be. As well it should be. <laughs> not as accepted. Yeah. Um, and I, this like... I think to Jessica, your point, as you were saying, like if some guy said to me when I was monogamous that he wanted to de-escalate our relationship, that would feel like shit. I was like, fuck that guy. <laughs> I'm like, he could go straight to hell. Like I do have that reaction. Mm-hmm. And I like, I understand that that reaction is like monogamous and heteronormative and not compassionate and not, you know, all of the things. But it's also totally fair to feel that way. And that doesn't mean that that's like, it has to be your final feeling, but I guess I'm just like saying, yeah, it feels bad when you like someone and you're on board for it being intense. And that person is like, I like you too, but not that much. I want less Mm -hmm. intensity. It's okay for that to feel bad. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that definitely triggers in me, like wanting to win the breakup feelings, right? Like that, Someone says that to me, I'd be like, oh, really? Well, you can't fire me because I can't. But if you're trying to, can't, like, not wanting to win the breakup, especially in a non-monogamy context, mean not ever being in the relationship in the first place? Like, that's the best way to win the breakup is never give anything. Never never, Never care? Never care, right? <laughs> well, okay, now, so, now who's speaking in extremes? So, well, I'm not. I'm not advocating for that position. I'm saying it like right. Okay, right. so I guess it just it seems like maybe this is related to like one of the things that I kind of like got out of the breakup that I went through is like the relationships that I've had since then or kind of like started. I've tried to like telegraph early on like what do I want and like not wanting a ton of intensity. Right. And like kind of like saying that to myself and to the other person to avoid like getting caught up in something that I didn't feel like I wanted to do, especially like on the on the heels of like a a pretty intense relationship and an intense end to a relationship that didn't feel good. Um, Which I guess I say just to say, like, what are the ways that you can do that that aren't? I don't know. Like, how is it possible to like keep it casual throughout? 
No. No. <laughs> Sarah shakes her head no. No. I, I think like the risk that we're all engaging in when we engage in having relationships with each other is that we will be attached, that we'll mean something to other people and other people will mean something to us, that over the course of that relationship, we won't be on exactly the same page about those things at right. exactly the same time. And as a result, we will be hurt or we will hurt other people or all people involved will feel sort of hurt. Right. And I don't, I think like sometimes non-monogamy wants to, and I could be projecting, but I do think it wants to pretend like it can avoid that. That, and I think monogamy does too, in both cases. It's like, if you just do these things right, you'll never have to feel that, and you'll mm -hmm. never have to risk it. And the fact of the matter is, that's just not true. This is what is hard about being a human being. We have to be in relationships with each other. We make connections with each other, and we run this risk when we do that. And there's not, that's not a problem we can solve. It's only something that we can experience and explore. And mm -hmm. sometimes it's going to feel bad, and we have to experience those bad feelings too. Well, yeah, I mean, I guess that echo that that uh, relates to this idea of like what relationships are even like breakup worthy mm. um, and like when, you know, when do you have to have that kind of uh, like it's like, of course, like you're saying, you're not always going to be on the same page with somebody in every relationship. And like sometimes that plays out like at the from the very beginning that plays out in your decision to spend you know to go out on a first date with somebody and a second date with somebody and like the logistics of when and how you do that and stuff like that like all of that is that dance right and when somebody's like oh i'm busy that day i can't what they're saying is i have something else going on that's a higher priority than this right there's all that that stuff is always present there it's just like to what extent you've like escalated things right yeah, or become attached. Or become attached. And then, like, you know, then you have to, like, de-escalate those things. But, like, I guess I'm just saying, like, that there there are these, like, benchmarks in traditional monogamous relationships. And those are things where you're like, but we moved in. Now we have to, like, move out again, right? That that makes it a lot of a, a mm -hmm. lot bigger of a commit, commitment and entanglement. But, like, those steps are happening along the way in every relationship as well. And, like, that's what... That's why it's called a relationship. Because <laughs> you're relating to it. Okay. I don't know. Well, speaking of, Jessica had, I think, like a pretty essential question about breakups, whether they're monogamous or non-monogamous, which is the great question of wanting to be friends. And I feel like mm -hmm. you cannot have a podcast about breakups yeah. without addressing this yeah. point. Jessica, take us there. Well, yeah, I mean, God, well, what is my question? I mean, should you do it, basically? Like, and is this, is it really different in non-monogamy? That's kind of my impression, is that people, like, really do stay friends after a breakup. I don't, <laughs> skeptical look <laughs> on your face. <laughs> because, well, so, and this is kind of like, Sometimes I think thinking about and talking about non-monogamy, it's like, oh, well, if, you know, if you decide to do that, you're just suddenly going to become like a different person and you'll want to be like good, right? Yeah. In all these ways, it's like being a vegan or something. Yeah. <laughs> I'm an emotional there some, vegan. There is some overlap. <laughs> uh, right. And that speaks to this assumption that like, is it good? Like, it's very moral judgment based this this idea of is it good to be friends with your exes is it bad mm. to be friends with your yeah. exes should you want to should you not want to i think it's huge yeah. alex thoughts uh i'm just over here on a tangent in my mind about animal cruelty and uh, <laughs> reasons that people are vegan um <laughs> I'll, I'll put a i'll put a pin in that okay um and try to address your question um yeah, wanting to be friends. I mean, w can't we just be friends? Or like, I just want to be friends is like such a a cliche. Um, and I mean, I think there are a couple things in like non-monogamous uh, people are more likely to be in a community with each mm -hmm. other, 
with like that is like kind of a community because it's like a sort of different way of doing things, first of all. And like people who live in smaller cities than us, you know, will definitely tell you like, I know all the people who are in this community. So yeah, that's a very both, similar experience for queer people too. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. But by virtue of both that and that you are, are sort of by definition going to have more relationships, the people that you're, you have been in relationships in the past are going to be more around mm. than they might be with in a monogamous quote unquote community, AKA everybody in the world who's not non-monogamous. Um, so staying friends might mean something different. It might be more like we're going to continue to be in community because you're going to be at this happy hour that I go to or dating some other person that I'm going to be dating in the future or whatever. Right. So it's I think not as possible that you could uh, yeah. just be like, and now we will cease to acknowledge each other's existence for all time. Yeah. So that's like a thing. But I guess what you're talking about is more just like the moral judgments that you might have about whether... I mean, to me, I think this is a place where we're very different. Uh, to me, I feel an external, like, judgment, which is probably actually an internal judgment about the idea of always wanting to be friends with people that I uh, have been in relationships with and, like, wanting to try to stay on good terms with people because that kind of feels like it makes me a sap somehow or, like, you know, that I'm not... Uh, oh, that other people's judgment matters to you in that way? No, just that I would want to, like the perceived judgment that I have is that if you're not, if like somebody wrongs you in some way and then you should just like, that person should be dead to you, you should move on, I see. you should like right. end that relationship, have a hard boundary, and then I find myself like not wanting to do that um, and, or feeling like I'm not sticking to my guns in the breakup if I'm like still thirsting for connection with the person, I guess. Right. Does that make sense? And then you're speaking to like a, a, a flip, the, there's a flip side to that, right? Yeah. I mean, there's this question of what's the difference between having boundaries that are kind of keeping you safe, right? Or as safe as possible mm -hmm. and protected. Emotionally. Emotionally. Yeah. Um, and being inflexible and punitive right. with yourself or other people. And I, I struggle with this all the time. I'm not, I can't always tell the difference. Um, I have definitely had the experience in the two breakups that I've mentioned in this podcast. The first one, um, I was interested in trying to de-escalate the relationship or be friends in a more active way. Mm -hmm. And that person was kind of like, nope, uh, I'll send you my newsletter. You know, right. that was, a, that's not, that's a little bit of an exaggeration, but that's kind of <laughs> what it felt like. Um, and that it was just like, I would not be surprised if I never hear from that person again. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't think that that necessarily means that he and I are on bad terms. But there is there does seem to have been like this kind of agreement that like, yeah, I don't think we're going to find common ground here for what this looks like or feels like. Um, mm -hmm. And so we're going our separate ways, essentially. Um, in this most recent breakup, it has felt a little bit like the roles were slightly reversed in that um, this person that we recently broke up, she seems more interested in the idea of like, let's see each other regularly. Let's process some of this together. Let's see what that feels like. And I'm sort of like, I don't know. I mean, that's confusing. I'm not sure if I want to do that or how to do that in a way that feels like boundaried, but I also want to be flexible and I also want to be in relationship. So that's a long-winded way of saying um, I think I've felt both sides of this and guess what? They both feel kind of bad. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> it's occurring to me as you're saying that that I think in all of these cases of both of our breakups with yours, you know, with more than one person that you're describing um, everybody always kind of thinks that it's the other person that decided that they were going to break up. Right. That's very, not common. that it's their fault, but that yeah. it was like, you know, they wanted something different. Um, mm -hmm. and like both people can be saying that about each other mm -hmm. at the same time. Um, which maybe speaks to common ground <laughs> in some way that would allow you to be friends, but I don't know about that. Yeah. And this idea that everyone that you would ever be in romantic relationship with is someone that you would want to be friends with. Right. I think it's yeah. kind of a false assumption. Right. Um, and one that I've found myself exploring more since non-monogamy. Mm -hmm. um, 
I think I'd probably choose my friends very differently than I yeah. choose the people I become romantic partners. And I and I wouldn't say there wasn't there isn't like friendship qualities in those relationships. It's just like, does it make sense to actively cultivate a friendship with this person? Or mm-hmm. is it more that I want to feel good about how we're in relationship with each other? You know what I mean? Uh-huh. And is like an active, like actively cultivated friendship the only way? To feel right. About that. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. I see what you're saying. Yeah. If you're, can you, can you not be still be friends, and that to be the right thing, and and not that anybody did anything wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Huh. I mean, it's maybe a subtle point, um, but it's one that I've been thinking about. And like a shout out to my most recent ex here. Uh, she said something where she was like, "I hope we find our way to being friends," mm-hmm. which I thought was like a really sweet, thoughtful thing to say, because it didn't feel like the platitude of, I just want to be friends, or why can't we be friends? It was acknowledging that that is, like, not a given and possibly Mm -hmm. difficult, but that she experiences hope for that, Uh right? And I was like, me too. And that felt good, so. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it speaks to it being a journey that you will go on kind of separately, but find a way to come back to, back together. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I love that. Hmm. Yeah, your ex is great. She really is. <laughs> I, I wish I wish she wasn't. Uh-huh. Uh, it would be easier if it you could would, just but she really write is. her off. Um, <laughs> that's, <laughs> that and idea. that's the moral of the story. <laughs> and that's like part of what we were talking about, how, you know, when things feel bad, especially at the end of a relationship, you really want to outsource that bad to the other yeah. person. You want to be like, this person was such a piece of shit, and that's why I feel bad. Yeah. Uh, but I think one of the things that non-monogamy has taught me is that that's just actually very rarely the case. I'm not saying it doesn't happen. It happens, mm-hmm. right? It happens. But it's not always the case. It's not the default. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, well, does, is, there a, is there a mistake in there hmm. in all of this? Yeah. What, what mistakes were made? We've got to stay on brand here. <laughs> I've been thinking about this. Um I think maybe the mistake has something to do with entering into non-monogamy or opening up a relationship and being, I think in my case, maybe not just even at the beginning of opening up, but I feel overly preoccupied with the end of relationships. I think like the mistake, the challenge that I have is not to over-prepare for an inevitable end. Um, to me, that's like the big challenge that has presented itself in non-monogamy. Um, we wrote a line together that was the end is in the beginning of everything we do. And I think like that has really resonated with me that like, that's true. And also, you know, so be aware of that. That's part of what makes things like precious and meaningful. Um, and like also maybe a reminder to protect yourself sometimes, but also, don't let that loom so large that you never take any risks Mm -hmm. and you don't have the relationships that you're meant to have. So that's the way I've been thinking about it. Yeah. Which is interesting because there you're sort of voicing a, you're articulating, uh, not anxious attachment. What's the other one? Um, avoidant, avoidant, right? Well, there is not being vulnerable and not stepping as far in because you're thinking about how this will inevitably end. That is not avoidant. That would be secure attachment. So believe it or not, there is oh. a type of attachment to have in this world that I realized I didn't even mention when I was going through the attachment The normal styles, one. Which is, is that right? secure attachment or earned secure attachment. This oh. idea that you do have some like um, inherent, carried, consistent sense of secure attachment in the world. Um, and you're not constantly reacting to those right. fears of being abandoned or not having your needs met. Because you um, know that your mom loves you. No because matter what. You no know, matter who breaks up with you. You know that your mom loves you no matter what. Uh, yeah. Sorry, moms. <laughs> Brought you into it. Yeah. And it's worth saying that, like, based on, there's a lot of debate about this, but based on studies, people think that roughly 50% of the population, give or take, would demonstrate secure attachment, mm-hmm. right? And then the rest of us would sort of break out into avoidant or preoccupied. And then there's, I'm not sure what the subset of like earned secure attachment is, which is, you know, when you learn, 
how to cultivate that, even if you didn't get that imprinted on you as a kid. I, I bet those percentages stay the same, but the people who are in them uh, change based on how close the, they are to a bad break. <laughs> <laughs> Totally. You know, they're just answering survey questions, right? Totally. They're probably just like, yeah, I'm fine. And then two weeks later, they could be like, oh, God. Nobody loves me. I'm always going to be left. I'm going to die alone. I am dying alone right now. <laughs> I am very likely to die alone. Um, yeah, well, <laughs> uh, I think for me, the, the, the mistake is sort of like probably the flip side of that, of like not, uh, not thinking about um, the end at all and like I don't know if that's exactly optimism or maybe just sort of obliviousness but but just like diving into um, new relationships with a sort of uh, yeah like just like a, a blindness to the fact that they would end it all um, and that that was something that like I should think about in the ways that I presented myself and the ways that I like uh you know, what I kind of like brought to the table and acted like I was bringing to the table, emotionally speaking, um, that if you're just like, if, I mean, I, just being like, this is great, you know, everything's good, I'm here, full full force, you know, nothing's ever gonna change. Um, and maybe bringing some of that like escalator energy, um, not taking responsibility for other, you know, other like responsibilities and other connections and stuff like that. The um, idea that emotional connection and attachment is risky. Right. And, yeah, yeah. and inherently mm-hmm. so, and there's actually no way to engage in it where it won't get hard. Yeah. And acknowledging that it's risky for the other person too. And yeah. I'm making them take risks. Yeah. Yeah. Whew. Yeah. Well, I want to take a nap. Seems like <laughs> seems like time for a joke. Oh no, I forgot I'm supposed to tell yeah. a joke. It's so yeah. bad. Funny. It's so bad. Wait, can I just stop you before I make you tell the joke? Please. Why does it why do you feel why do we feel like uh bad? That you want to take a nap. Yeah. Why do we feel bad? Bad and exhausted? Yeah. Um I mean, it's partly just our nervous systems getting activated. When we talk about attachment, which we're realizing we're talking about when mm-hmm. we're talking about breakups, right. it activates like some of the most like deeply patterned parts mm-hmm. of our brains and nervous systems. Um, and the wounds that we have there or the fears right. are big. Yeah. And they're like, I feel like they're like in the, they're primordial. Mm-hmm. They like reach way, way back into our histories. Um, and right. so it's pretty exhausting. We're feeling the residual effects of being the last kid picked up from soccer practice. That's right. Night is falling. Yeah, it's raining. <sighs> the wet leaves uh-huh. are like just sort of rustling a little against your sneaker. Are they going to show up? Who I don't knows? know. The street lights are coming on. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe I'll just be here in my shin pads and cleats forever. Hey, at least you'll be on time for school tomorrow. Yeah. If you just never go home. Perfect. <laughs> I can probably just sleep in the custodian's office. Oh my god. It was like turning this into is, a spooky Halloween story. Very I like it. Okay, I feel like that is a good setup for my bad <laughs> Halloween joke. Let's see if I remember it. What did the sapiosexual zombie say on her date? What? Brains. <laughs> it's very funny to me. I don't know if anybody else is get it, but yeah, it's not uh, great. It's, uh, it's good. It's good. I think oh, I think it, it. it was. You know how good it was because you told the the setup, and then I just said brains. Yeah, you did. You did. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Anyway, Zombies, thanks for your patience, audience. Um, Zombies and sapiosexuals, they love brains. <laughs> Hungry for brains. Um, wow. Yeah, okay, well, this was a great uh, and intense first episode back. We're going to go lay down for a couple weeks, uh, <laughs> and then we'll be back. Um, thanks for listening to Mistakes Were Made. Uh, we want your feedback and your ears. We want your friends. Tell your friends. 
uh, if they're whether or not they're exes of yours. Yes, <laughs> tell all your friends and exes. Uh, hopefully, there's some content in here that you feel like will help you have feel like you've won your breakup, and you can send it to your ex and be like, <laughs> "I really think you know With I've been thinking about emoji. our relationship, <laughs> and I think you should listen to this podcast because they said a lot of stuff that was about you that made me think of you." you. <laughs> yeah, perfect. Uh, yeah, so we're going to be back in two weeks with an episode about mixed queer hetero partnerships, queer imposter syndrome, bi erasure, femphobia, uh, the privilege to pass as hetero, and a surprise guest who has big feelings about all of the above. Right? Can't wait. Yay. Thanks for listening. Thanks, everybody. Talk to you soon. <laughs>